Episode 54, Taking Ownership of Our Stories, with Marsha Van Weinsberg. Welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin. And today, Deb, myself, and guest Marsha Van Weinsberg discuss dropping our shields to share our vulnerable stories with others and taking ownership of those stories to change them for the better. Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection. And in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at MacklinConnection.com. Welcome to the Story in Your Head podcast. I'm Ron Macklin. Today we have Deb Dendy and Marsha, and I'll let Marsha pronounce her last name for us. And Marsha, could you give us like a, just a short introduction, like who you are and what you're up to? Absolutely. My name is Marsha Van Weinsberg. Yes, that's a mouthful. And I am from Ontario, Canada. I am a whole bunch of different things. And I would say the biggest thing is storytelling, trainer, publisher, an NLP brainer where I'm going to be running my own certification programs very shortly. And I really help people to learn how to share vulnerable stories, whether it is from talks from a stage or publishing their books in a story. And I found myself in this field in the way that a lot of us do, in the sense that my story led me on this path. Yeah, great. <laughs> For some of us who are recovering from not ever wanting to share our vulnerable stories, can you tell us a little bit more about how you got to a place where you wanted to share it and what what your motivation was behind that? I will. It's a bit of a surprise for a lot of people, but what we found is about a decade ago, we were dealing with teen substance abuse. And whenever you're dealing with a difficult story, one of the things we do as humans is we tend to hide and we tend to protect ourselves and we tend to not share those parts of ourselves. And during that time, I, as I like to say, sadly, I did not have to wonder what people were thinking. People did not have any problem like pulling up to our house, telling us what they thought, stopping me in the grocery store, stopping me on my way to work. It was a very difficult time where shame became a very easy, easy fallback. It became easy to just squash it down, push it down and try to figure out how to navigate your own way out of a difficult situation. So as I got more and more quiet, I was still looking for support and answers for myself as a mom and dealing with some incredible people, support, counselors, you know, groups. But when it came to talking and sharing publicly, if you would have told me I would be doing this down the road, I would have never imagined it. But through a lot of support and counseling, I remember saying to my counselor one day that no matter where I go, nobody is talking about difficult stories and I can't find answers anywhere. And she said, maybe that's because you're supposed to. And that was a turning point for me where I just went, huh, well, that's crazy. There's no way I'm doing that. 
And as I started to really venture out into small groups and sharing my story in vulnerable ways, I was overwhelmed with the number of people that would come and reach back to me and say, oh my gosh, that's my family too. Like we're struggling with this or we're struggling with this. And I started to feel like and really understand that shame is really a problem because we're the ones that are feeding it. We're the ones that are, are keeping it stuck down in our bodies and we are giving so much shame to a story almost as if then I deserve for this to happen. That's what happens psychologically when we do that with shame. Mm. We create this meaning that yes, this is my fault because obviously it is because this is how I feel about it in my body. And shame is crippling. It is absolutely crippling. And so as I started to really venture into sharing in very small, like safe containers for a little while, I started to notice that I would feel better. I was like, okay, oh, that felt better to share that pain and to not hold on to it. And then someone would reach out to me and say, thank you, because that's a story I've had for 40 years and I've never told a soul. And I started to really see this reciprocal thing that, wow, the reason our stories have so much power is because we're giving them power and we are applying the shame. And it really started to grow organically into larger stages into sharing it into collaborative books, into my own book, into helping other people with their stories. And it, it organically grew is literally what happened. And I, I'm grateful that it, it grew organically. I did not step into this to try and grow a business. But what happened was I helped to support my own healing, which helped me to improve all of our relationships, like all of us did. And it got us to a space that I could have never predicted in the beginning. And that's where I believe that our stories are powerful. The stories that we tell ourselves are very powerful. And we can all do something with the stories that we have experienced. It's really only by holding on to them and shoving them down in our bodies that we apply so much shame to them that we cripple ourselves. Thanks, Marcia. If it's okay, I'm just going to share like where I, where I discovered this space, mm -hmm. right? I, w I was 31, 32 years of age, and I just finished up an MBA, and I was going to the, and it was, a, it was called an executive fellows program. What that really means is most people had 15 to 20 years of experience before they went into it, and I was 31, mm -hmm. I didn't have that. I kind of snuck my way in, right? And I went to the program, and I was sitting in a, like it was a large conference, and they brought a guest in, his name was Bowen White. And I didn't know who Bowen White was, and I, I got to tell you, I was scared to death because I figured they're going to figure out that I don't belong in here. And everybody else in the room was, it was like 150 people, and they were all executives. At the time, I was living in Kansas City, where I'm back to now. And I was looking around the room going like, I don't belong here. How do I look good? How do I make sure I don't fall down? Or how do I do all that stuff, right? And then he came up, and he, he walked out with a pair of big old baggy scrubs on and a doctor's coat and red nose. And, and Dr. Yurko, spelled Jerko. And he starts to talk about all the things that mess with executives' lives. And he, cause that's what he does. He spends most of his time dealing with executives in the Kansas City area. And he said, this is what, this was messing with you. And then he said something that he said, and he, and he pulled his shirt, but I had a coat on, and he pulled it back and had this, like, instead of the smiley face, had the little squiggly line. And he, everybody inside has this scared oh. guy inside of them. Oh. Right. And you could you see that I read in the rooms kind of go, I'm sitting in the front because I got to sit up front to fill up, right? I'm going to fill up with everything he's got. I'm going to fill yep. myself up. So I don't see anybody behind me, right? And I'm sitting there going like, oh my God, he's 
he just picked me out of the room and he's, he's going to make an example out of me. And he goes, how many in this room are afraid? And you think there's something wrong with you that you're afraid. And I was just sitting there going like, can I, can I actually raise my hand? Can I actually do it? So I start to raise my hand and he looks at me and he goes, look around the room. Every person in that room had their hand up. And what did that feel like for you? Well, two things, two things overwhelm me, right? At the at moment, right? was like, I am not alone. Like I'm not alone in this, this world of I'm afraid of everything and there's something wrong mm-hmm. with me that I'm afraid, right? That was one. Because all the people in the room there, they were more successful than I was and they had the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And the other one was, that means the same is true for everybody else. So I was sitting in a world that I'm normal that I'm this mm-hmm. way and everybody else has the same story and they don't talk about it. They will not talk about it. And what... What I discovered shortly after that time was that when you actually become vulnerable with somebody, they're not listening to you. They're listening to their own stories in their own head going like, oh, crap, that's me too. Mm-hmm. And when I, what we, and we use the metaphor of a shield. Most people walk around with their shields up, Facebook shields, Instagram shields, LinkedIn shields. Those are all great shields, but we've got all kinds of stories we keep around for our shields. And when you share that vulnerable story, they stop holding their shield up and they put their shield down and they're listening to you going, God, that's me. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm the same way. Right. And now what I've, this, my, my third step in this, right. One was, uh, I'm not alone. Right. Everybody is that way. And what I've noticed is, and I've, that's been 26 years ago. And what I've noticed is the people who I admire the most, who are the most successful, they all talk about their fears. I, uh, I went to, and met my, I met my, what was somebody who I like scared me to death to go meet him, right? And Monty Roberts, he is the true horse whisperer. We use his stuff. I, so I wanted to meet him, right? And we were sitting down at his, at his dinner table and he, and he starts telling me a story about how scared he is. And I was just going like, like, here's somebody who's really got control of his life, right? I, and, and then he's talking about fear all the time. It like that doesn't, it actually enables him. Because fear doesn't have him, he has fears. And I just, like, th- those are the things that came from that initial conversation. And what I hear you speaking is the same mechanics, the same way we humans work, the way we are in the world. Exactly. And we don't want anybody to know we are that way. <laughs> like, we got to hide it. The armor, you said the, I call it armor. I carried that armor for so long, so long. Like, I... Yep. It's, it's funny because we think it protects us. And if you go to the words of Brene Brown, right, you can't selectively block emotions. You block one, you block them all. And it wasn't until a counselor said to me, where do you have joy in your life? And I'm like, joy, like you heard my story, right? Like what, where, where in the world is there joy? This is not joy. And I had to actively look for it. I had to learn how to put the armor down. And that, because the thing was, is there came a point where I felt so protected from the armor, but then I recognized that I was literally like the turtle under the shell. The armor had engulfed me and I still had the problem. I was like, this didn't work. Like it actually didn't work at all. And so vulnerability is, it's a superpower and I I cannot talk enough about it. I just think that some people don't know how to embrace vulnerability and they don't understand that there is a way, there is a way to do it. And you can do it with any story that you have because really vulnerability is about us. It's not about the other people who are in our story. It's about what we are experiencing. 
And the other piece that I learned early on when I heard Brene Brown say this was the fact that like vulnerability without boundaries is very manipulative. So if you're using, you know, I'm going to sit here and tell you all the gory parts of my story so that you can be ooh and ah about the whole thing. That's manipulative. That's not, that's not true vulnerability. Vulnerability is like me sharing that experience. And exactly as you said, Ron, what it does, it puts us all in the same playing field. We all are anyways. We just don't think that we are. Yeah. How I, how I listen to you is really removing the power, removing the power of those stories, the power that that has over our lives. I mean, it's a great analogy of the turtle, right? You're, you're sitting under the turtle shell and to be exposed, you're, you know, you're bait. Mm -hmm. How did you start? (laughs) Was that the hardest step you took? It was the hardest step I took and, and being completely real with you in the sense there came a day where I just had this moment. And I think if we have any major life changes, it almost always stems from that moment on the floor where you're on the floor and it's like, I I can't do it like this one more day. I don't know what my life is going to look like, but if I don't find a different way to do things, I'm probably not going to be here. Like that was, that's where I was at that turning point where it's like, I don't want to be here anymore. And if I do want to be here, my way is not working. It's just not working. And so as a, as a mom, you know, I had a lot of time where mm. I felt like I'd failed. I really, because I think we believe that we signed this unwritten contract somewhere. I don't know where I signed it, but apparently I felt like I did that. It was my job to keep everything going smoothly and to fix the bumps, fix the things. And in doing so, I mean, we do it for the right reasons, but man, there comes a day when we don't share a brain with our kids. I don't care what they're doing in their life. They, they have to make those decisions themselves. And when two people try to own a problem at the same time, mm. nobody owns it. Like that's the pure definition of codependency. Nobody owns it. And so I had to get to a, a point when I just, I didn't know what to do next, but I kept hearing literally this voice saying, stop. Like, stop what you're doing. Stop what you're doing. You, you have to let this go. And I equate it to if anybody who's ever gone to a, you know, a 12 step program, an Al-Anon program, I took my little checklist, like a proud student saying to my counselor, I did all the things I did. You told me to do, I did them. They're like, yep, you did your job. And I'm like, okay, but we still have the problem. So you're not listening. And they're like, no, you're not listening. It's actually not yours to fix anymore. So an incredibly hard turning point in my life was when I went, this is not mine to fix anymore. But what is mine is how I choose to lead myself, what I choose to do in my life. And that's where my own podcast came from was on your choices on your life. It's literally every day became a moment of like, what's my choice? What is my choice? And starting to take full ownership back of my choices and in doing so, it certainly wasn't a fast process. I'm not even going to sugarcoat that. It was not a fast process. It was stacking habits and wins on top of each other day after day, like week after week, month after month and year. And it could be as simple as starting with, you know, what do I need to feel better? What would bring me joy? How can I listen to like YouTube videos where my friends, that's literally was something that would help me to change my state because back then that's what we had. There wasn't a lot of podcasts that were out then. And it was anything that could help me to feel a little bit better each day. And if I could behave and feel like feel better, I could then make decisions from a more grounded place instead of a reactive place. 
Like when we're constantly reacting, nobody's getting the best of us, including, including us. So I had to learn how to guard my own energy and protect it, create almost this inner circle as to who got access to me. And I used to joke, I, I still actually kind of say it, but it's an invite only space. Like just because we're blood related, you don't get access. Like I actually had to cut access from a lot of people. And it's hard when you're in those positions, if anybody who's listening that you've had to cut access to family and they might mean well, but it didn't matter. I, I had this benchmark for me that if you weren't in the arena with me and not just like in the arena in the cheap seats, like if you're not walking the walk with me, I don't want your advice. I actually, I'm not asking for it and I don't want it. And so that became a benchmark, which meant that I had to separate myself from family for family and friends, burn a lot of bridges for a long time until I felt like I was in a better space to make decisions and how to handle what we had. Because in our situation, it wasn't, you know, it's not as though it was a, sp a spouse and he could leave or I could leave. They were still minors. So there was nowhere to, to go. I mean, my car became my friend because I didn't know where else to go. So it really became clear that I had to find a way to pour back into me so that I could show up differently in a situation that I didn't have any control over. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, Marcia. The, what you triggered for me to remember is the first time we dis I discovered this, it wasn't like there was a switch that went off and now I'm a different way. It's that I had a new story. And I had decades of habits that I didn't even know were habits that would show back up and, and take you back to places and you go, what, what am I doing here? Right. But it would like, it would like, it was just instant, Instantly. instant, instant. Mm -hmm. all the things that I had taught myself and continue to do that. And so but I don't remember it was John Cusack, some movie somewhere where he goes, life's like baseball, right? If you can bat 400, you're going to the hall of fame which means about one out of 12 times you get to the plate, you're going to, you're going to connect the, the ball and get on the plate. And I go, yep, that's a, that's a good metaphor for me. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Because I've got all my habits and all my traditions and I got all my moods and all the stuff that gets triggered from other people. Right. But I, that I turn into some story that more I notice it, the better I get at it, the higher the percentage becomes me holding that stand. And that's my journey. Mm, I love that quote. I love that analogy. And I couldn't agree more. One of the reasons I like your name of your podcast so much is because one of the things I say to myself and clients all the time is the story only ever has the meaning that you give it. Like it literally only ever has the meaning that you give it. I made up a story for a long time about how I had failed. And I decided to change that story one, one day at a time is literally what happened one day at a time. And I think the thing is when you're dealing with shameful stories, I got to the space of being able to say my story out loud because if you don't, I used to sit and wait for the questions, like wait for what someone going to say, what are they going to ask? And I would hide, right? That was this, this piece until I got to the space of people would say, you know, I hear you, I heard you on a podcast. I heard you speaking. Like, what is your story about? And then I would say, you know, I, I'm a parent who dealt with teen substance abuse and had to learn how to completely rewrite my story to heal myself. And you'd see them go like, oh, um, they didn't know what to say. 
when you do something like that, you're not leaving the door open for shame. I've, I've called it out, right? I've said what it is. And I think there's a lot of power in all of us being able to say that up front and put myself back in that position. So I'm not waiting to be judged by someone else because I say, I say it on almost every podcast I'm on. We literally, no one judges us more than what we judge ourselves. No one. And when we, the sooner we recognize that, the better, because then we won't put other people's judgment in such a high standard when we actually are, we're the problem. Like we're the one that's doing that to ourselves. Yeah. You, you maybe think about how to live. Am I living in someone else's story of what I should be doing? Or can I take back and choose the story I want to live in? And you, you use the word choice quite mm -hmm. a bit. And I'm, I'm not sure everyone always realizes it is a choice that they can choose that. It's a trigger word for some people. Mm -hmm. It's a trigger word because I, I get some pretty nasty messages sometimes on social media. I do. And people who think, who will say things that you don't understand my story. And I, I will never make light of anyone's story. But one of the quotes that I heard early on, and it was um, Stephen Covey, and we're a product of our decisions, not our circumstances. I have met and interviewed, like we're just under 500 episodes on my show. I've met and interviewed people with stories that would blow you away. And when we come to the end and I ask them like what lesson in life they're most grateful for, almost every single one of them says the story that I lived helped me to be the person that I am today. Even though, I mean, incredibly traumatic stories. So we come to a space by choice and a lot of work to be able to recognize that my story has made me who I am. I wouldn't be the person I am to do it today. I wouldn't even be doing the work that I get to do today if I didn't walk through the most difficult story of my life. And a lot of that came down to choices. Yeah, thank you. Whenever I get, like even today, when I got on the podcast to record with mm -hmm. Deb and Marsha, or when I go to make a presentation or a speech or anything else or anything, I'm gonna perform in any way. There's a story that I, I use in my head I surrender to that I'm enough and that everything I've been through created the space that I am and I'm going to let it go. Goosebumps. And then it's really cool because sometimes you get to the end of it and you go, you got you watch the recording of it and you go, wow, I did that. I, I didn't even know I was doing that because mm -hmm. that's letting all of me come out. Mm, that is beautiful, honestly. And I, can I just say, I, I love, I'm sure this sounds really corny to some people, I love hearing more and more men speak like this. I really do because I think you give more permission to other men to do the same. I mean, I think that so often women, we do tend to, you know, support and allow and encourage. God, I'll tell you, I get so many messages from men who are in a space of saying, like, I don't know where to go and I don't know how to change this and I don't know what to do. So I think that even just showing up as you are, you are giving so many other people permission more than you realize. Thank you. We didn't set out to go for men or women or different, any, any of that stuff, just whoever wants to show up. Right. And we've always been surprised. It's kind of even mm -hmm. like who shows up and starts to participate and you know, different, different, all that races and everything else. They just, they just keep showing up and we're all the same. We all think all we us. have different stories. And the more we dive into who we are, we realize mm -hmm. eh, we're just pretty much the same. Pretty much. <laughs> pretty much. Honestly, that's been a blessing and I have to learn that. It really has been. It's, it's a huge blessing to recognize that. 
And I think the other thing that happens when we can come to that space is we can learn to forgive. And I, I, I know that that even that is something for people to, it's a trigger word, just a choice, but forgive doesn't mean forget. And doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean that you don't, you know, protect your energy. But I got to a space of thinking I had to forgive my kids because like we went through hell. I'm not, it's, we went through absolute hell for years and I, I was angry. I was actually really angry to be completely honest, but I had to learn that the person I had to forgive the most was myself. And when I really came to a space of like giving myself that level of forgiveness, it's important when you can do that because then you just stop carrying things that are not yours to carry anymore. And it frees up so much more. So I think that when we can come to a space of learning how to share our stories, it's not just about the story. It's like, it's just, it really frees us for so much more in our life. Like how many of us are carrying things from our past every single day, every single day. Oh, and then, everyone you know, else. I always joke that like the universe comes to your door, right? Saying, here's everything you wanted. And you're like, oh, I can't, my hands are full. The universe is saying, put it down, like, stop carrying the things you don't need to. So I do think we all fall victim to that, but it's just a reminder that the forgiveness piece is huge. Yeah. And taking back your stand, your stand for your life, what you want to live rather than, you know, I think, I think maybe social media can show us what life we might expect it to be. Like we might expect it to be the, the white picket fence with the roses in front or like that's mm -hmm. what we expect, but it's not real. It's it, and it's not real. And for those when 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 you realize you can make a choice as to what your life is going to be in your stand, you're going to take for yourself. You can start creating that reality. That's not well. I don't have that. So what's wrong with me? You can say no. This is the way I choose to live my life. And I think we we so often we live into other people's expectations of us. And don't even realize it's a story that we're carrying. It's, I think you've nailed it right there. I think that we, even subconsciously, most of us do that, right? We're living into what other people, how they're living their life or what we think we're supposed to be doing by someone else's standards. And one of the things that came up in my head when I was thinking of your podcast is this sense that the word comparison, mm. right? The, this, the social media world puts us into so much comparison. And then when you have a difficult situation like this, it's, I remember thinking like, I must've done something wrong to, to have this life. Cause I, everyone else's life looked smooth and easy. We all know it's not, but that's what it looks like. And this piece of comparison can really keep us stuck in thinking that we're not living the way that everyone else is living. And ironically, it was also through that lens that I recognized that we didn't fit the mold of what people thought people looked like who dealt with this problem, which became even more the reason to start to talk because that's how we change stigmas, right? We start to change stigmas that by, sh by showing up and being seen. So comparison is a really, it's a really slippery slope for a lot of us. And I think it takes us right out of our lane, takes us right out of using our own gifts and it blocks us from the work that we get to do. Yeah. Thank you. Marcia, this is the time in our podcast where we give you the chance to ask us questions. What can we answer for you? Oh, what's a story that 
either one of you have overcome when you can look and even just in this, in connection with this conversation, what's a story that you have overcome and you can look back and recognize that that story was required to become the person that you are today? I, I have one, Ron. <laughs> I oh, mean, I, <laughs> I, my whole life, I just thought I wasn't enough, that I wasn't good enough. And I, I care, I made up that story and I carried it, carried it with me. And I put so much pressure on myself to like, well, if you don't think you're good enough, then you have to try so much harder, right. To have show up as good enough. Whereas the whole time I, I was, <laughs> but I didn't realize it. Mm -hmm. And so that's something I've really had to change my story about because when you show up into a situation, you're not enough. It's hard to be present. It's hard to, it's it's hard not to live into other people's expectations of yourself when you don't think you're not enough. And so, I mean, it showed up in so many places in my life, and I'm, I'm happy to be free of that. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that because I do. I think so many people relate to that. Like we subconsciously, a lot of us at one point in our life or our whole life, felt that we're not enough. And you're right, when we feel that way, we will hustle for our worth mm -hmm. at every single step we take. And we're never gonna catch it because it's not outside of us. No, beautiful, thank you for sharing that. You're welcome, thank you for asking. Great question. Mine was, I had a story that I had to do something to get love, like to be loved. I remember when I made the story up, I don't need to go into the situation, It's I was pretty little, like under five. And I remember what happened was I thought somebody was going away and I wasn't enough and I had to do something to keep them. And it wasn't probably until somewhere around 35 or so, maybe 40, in that range of age, that it became clear to me that all the love that I got, I felt I had to do something to get it. Mm. And I couldn't just accept it as unconditional. And it... um Looking back at all the stories that I made up about all the things I had to do so that my wife or my kids could love me. And it, it opened up a space for me to accept love for the first time unconditionally from them, from my parents, from everybody, anybody in the world, because it really can be unconditional. I mean, I held, I could love unconditionally, but I couldn't accept it. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. And can I also say when, because I can guarantee again, a lot of people will relate to that. They say it's easier for me to give love than it is to receive it. There are two sides of the same coin. So we think we're giving a ton, but we're actually not giving to the capacity that we could give until we can learn to receive. Once we can learn to receive, it's like, oh, I can give from a very different space now. Mm -hmm. And it really does amplify more of what you can give. It's, it's beautiful, but receiving is, receiving is a really hard thing for a lot of people. I, I struggled for a long time with it. And even now it's like when I do get the compliment or something comes in, my first response is I, I stop myself. Nope. Thank you. I received that. And I just literally just say it. Thank you. I received that because it's a practice. It's a practice and it's taken a long time to do that. But you know what? As you both shared so beautifully, some people will go their entire lives and never have those moments of 
recognizing the stories that they've held on to. Yeah, I'll go one step further. And that's part of the, the goal of the podcast that we have and why we named it The Story in Your Head. Because a lot of people don't know that they're making up those stories mm-hmm. that, and they, they don't own them. They think that this is life, that this, it is this way. And I, I, I was destined to be this. This was it. Not They made up a story. And they forgot they made it up. And I think it's real. Mm-hmm. And it is their reality, but that's not the same as it's real in the world. Two different things. Two different things. And when you hold that you're making up all your own stories, no, nothing's impossible. Mm-mm. Ownership is a beautiful thing. I really believe like when we get to a space of ownership, it's such a beautiful thing because we can recognize that, you know what? No, that's, that's the story I've told myself. That's actually not real. So if I, if I can own that, I can change that, right? No one's coming to change it for me. But when I can own that, I can change that. And as soon as, I don't even know how many times a day, I will literally hear Mel Robbins' words in my ear. No one's coming, right? Right, no one's coming. That's for me to change. That's for me to change. It's just that, it's a beautiful ownership piece. It is. It can be scary too. Like now, oh, it's, now it's my responsibility, right? I I could Mm -hmm. maybe blame others or blame something outside of me in the past which might mm-hmm. seem easier. I don't know. <laughs> but now I, I like I'm responsible. So it's scary too. It is scary. I it's it was ironic because in doing so I started to recognize that I had to take ownership for my own feelings, for my own experiences, everything, my choices. And that's literally what my kids had to do. They had to do the exact same thing. It wasn't for me to fix or change. And I I didn't see that until we were a long ways through it. And I mean, they're incredible young men. They've done, they've built their own paths. They do their own things. And I'm proud of them for what they've done. They've, they've grown up from a very young age because they had to. And in knowing that, do I wish I could have learned the lessons a different way, an easier way? Yes, I'm human, but I didn't. And that was it. That was the path. And those experiences created who you are. Mm-hmm. You created who you are through those experiences. Yes. Yes. That's cool. So we don't need to hide those parts of ourselves. Marcia, thank you for being on the podcast today. Mm-hmm. My um, pleasure. It was a, a warm and I'll treasure the recording and the time with you. So mm-hmm. thank you for that. Mm, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. At Macklin Connection, we believe making authentic connections with others can literally change your world. We invite you to share this podcast with one person that you care about. Maybe it's someone you haven't spoken with in a really long time and you'd love to reconnect. Or maybe it's the first person that popped into your head when you listened to this podcast because you thought it would be perfect for them. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.